0: The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. I appreciate this series that we've been going through. Really, from the get-go, John has been exposing uh, all the agnostics and all the false people who believe they have obtained some sort of spiritual knowledge that no one else could obtain, and uh, I love how as he's exposing these false teachers, he's encouraging those who are truly in Christ. And uh, I love from the beginning how he shows a true and authentic Savior that we have in Jesus. And, uh, and I love how uh, someone who truly understands and believes in Christ know why he came, and that was because of sin. And later on in chapter one, he begins and, uh, or, and ends that chapter on the discussion that those who truly believe in Christ understand the weight of sin. And and what it did to Christ. And in chapter two, I'm thankful for the courtroom scene he brings, uh, where he says uh, that we have an advocate with the Father, and it's Jesus Christ, and he comes on our behalf. And uh, I love how in that same really scenario, that courtroom analogy, he then shows the believers that you can know that you're saved, that there's evidences of your life. There's evidence, uh, and that is being obedient, and not just a legalistic obedient, but a loving obedience uh, to Christ, to God, and his word. And then we looked at, uh, not long after that, but authentic love. And uh, our teenagers, we just wrapped up probably one of the most convicting chapters I think I've ever studied and read. And uh, many of us probably have heard 1 Corinthians 13 um, at weddings. I used it at a wedding. And uh, it's probably, sometimes we read it and we say, that's is a comfy, cozy chapter. Just, oh, love endures. But when you read in its full context, it is anything but cozy. It is a convicting, challenging and uh, one of the most pretty much life-changing chapters I think I've ever studied and read, especially in its full context. And I love how John brings that in here. You see how the Bible connects together. What Paul writes, what John writes, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God works those things together so that we have a full understanding. No, they all complement each other, and they all uh, uh, help one another. And so uh, he talks about the authentic love, and uh, along with that, the true Another evidence that someone is truly in Christ is that there's spiritual growth. Um, whether you're an elder, whether you're a young person, or whether you're a father, as he describes the different levels of maturity, uh, we ought to be all be growing, uh, and growing in grace and growing in the Lord. Uh, but then John kind of goes back and reverts back to the same subject of love, except he talks about the other component of love, and at first, you're probably going to think of the title tonight. You're going to be like, this is kind of interesting. But tonight, I want to talk to you about authentic hate. Authentic hate. Now, a lot of you may think, what in the world does hate have to do with love? They actually both work together. In other words, if you're in the medical field, or really are not. I know many people who are, don't like germs. But uh, if you're in the medical field, what do you love? What do you value? It's health. The way you exercise, you, you value Good eating habits you you do everything and everything to be healthy you love health and so since you love health you hate the thing that opposes or harms that health and that's germs so if you love health you hate germs um, if you're a parent tonight uh, if you love your children you hate anything that would oppose or harm your children if you're married tonight guess what if you're whether a wife or a husband if you truly love your spouse you will protect and hate those things that would come in between and potentially harm your marriage. You see how true love and hate kind of go together? You say, well, how's this with God? Because the Bible says, and John talks about, it, that God is love. We under- I love that verse because he doesn't say that God has love. It says that God is love. He's the very definition of love. If there was a spiritual dictionary in heaven and God opened up and you saw love, the meaning and definition behind would just be God because that's what he is. But then how can God, who is love, hate? Well, because he loves us so much, what opposes, and we're the object of that love, what opposes that? What harms that? And that's sin. The Bible says in Proverbs 6, and this is just one of many, these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are abomination. And we're going to get through some of them tonight. But you understand, if you want to see how bad God hates sin, all you have to do is look at the cross. How much he hates it? Because it's not that he hates the sinner, he hates the sin. And you see, when we truly have authentic love, as we learned before, naturally, we're going to hate the things that opposes that love. We're going to be full guard and protection of all those things that. and look what John says to us in verse number 15. He says, "Love, not what? The world. To not love something, you either love or you hate it. And he says, "This is the thing and tonight we're going to look at that authentic hate. But in order to hate, hate the world, sometimes if you're like me and you look at that passage, it can be quite a little bit confusing because in one sense, God says he loves the world, but now John's telling you that to love not the world. So what in the world is John trying to talk about here? Well, here's a few things and some perspectives tonight. In order to truly, uh, in order to truly uh, find what we're supposed to hate and hate the world, we have to look at the perspective of it. And first of all, Of the world, we look, we hate it because of its definition. The definition, what the world is. The Bible says, love not the world in the first few parts, but we must fully understand what the Apostle John is exactly saying when it comes to not loving or hating the world. I believe Scripture gives us three different perspectives of that world. This is what the world is, its definition. Well, first of all, there's the physical world, creation. Would you agree? Creation, God created the heavens and the earth. But I like what he says in, in uh, Genesis chapter one and verse 31, it says, "And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good." In Psalm 19:1, the Bible says, the, heaven declare, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork and John in his gospel, he says, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. And Isaiah in the Old Testament, 42, five, he says, thus saith God, the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it and the spirit to them that walk therein. I think it's safe to say that God loves his creation. He thought it was very good. So this is not the world that John is talking about when he says to love not the world because the heavens declare the glory of God, the firm it showeth his handiwork. I mean, he loves, he said it was very good. Well, if it's not the physical world creation, well, then there's another perspective of the world that the Bible talks about, and that's the human world, mankind. Uh, many scriptures I could pull up tonight, and I've already mentioned it, but really the best thing that sums up how God loves the world as far as mankind goes, us, It's John 3.16, John in his own gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. Clearly, John is not speaking of creation or mankind, but then, no pun intended, what in the world is he talking about? This is with the third perspective, and this is where John, and we're going to study this word world here, is the systematic world its operation, how it works, how, how, how things are operated. In other words, the word world here that is used by John is translated from the Greek cosmos, which means order, arrangement, or better yet, system. In other words, it is the way by which the world operates that opposes God, not creation, not man, but its system. Uh, in other words, this, how many of you, if you watch SportsCenter, they'll say, today in the world of... Sports. Now, if you're smart, or at least be smarter than me, and that's not that's not a, a high reach there. Uh, but if you uh, have uh, heard that term before, you know that they're not talking about a literal physical planet where all the athletes are, and they come here. They ship. It's not Space Jam, all right. This is this is not this is not a literal physical place. But what are they saying? They're saying in their kind of terminology that in the world of sports, this is what this is how things go. In the world of sports, this is the lingo. In the world of sports, this is how things are operated. You could say the same thing for anything, uh, the world of medicine or however you like to put it. You would say, in the world of this, not the physical, uh, actual place, but what? It's the way in which things, in my world, this is how things operate. How many of you ever said that? In my world, this is what we do here, right? In the Jersey world, and that's a whole different world than other places, you could say this is how things operate. And whether it's true or not, or right or wrong, that's how uh, many will say that operates in the world. And this is the world that John is talking about. And Jesus says this, the way the world operates is in direct opposition to God and mankind and it is all operated by its prince, the devil. John 12, 31, now is the judgment of the world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. You see, everything that Satan does opposes, offends, and wants to harm the thing which God loves. And that's you and I tonight. And that is the thing that John is trying to show the believer, especially these agnostics, these people that claim to be and know a Jesus that none of us could know and obtained a spiritual knowledge, but yet their lifestyle, they were of the world. And not of the world in a sense, of course, we're physically here. And of course, you and I, we're in the world, mankind, but in the way in which it operates. You see, this is why God does not love and hates uh, the systematic, the doings of the world. You see, we know that we do not have to look very far to see this in our world today. Mankind, through the work of sin and the devil, are constantly trying to distract, derail, and eventually destroy anyone who allows its influence on their lives. This is why John firmly states that if we truly love God and God's love is in us, then we will despise and hate the very thing that seeks to destroy us. Uh, the agnostics and other false teachers who claim to know God have acquired some unknown spiritual knowledge where the very ones that found themselves indulging in all of the world's philosophies and way of living. Church, may we be, as the Apostle Peter stated, be sober, be vigilant, be vigilant, Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. But you see, now that we know how not to love the world, because by definition, when you understand it, we know that that's the reason John gives us to love not the world. But not only by what it is, but secondly tonight, by its deeds, what it does. By its deeds, what it does. If you join with me again in First John, he says in verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are what? In the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. Uh, understand that when you look at this list, and I've read this passage many different times, I could say, well, you know, he's just naming a few sins, you know, lust of your flesh, lust of your eyes, pride of life. And that's kind of was always my first thing. Okay, he's just, we know there's a whole lot of sins out there, and so that's just the first thing. But you understand that John is not really necessarily trying to list a sin. He's actually listing a progression that leads to all sin. Uh, he's leading a progression, uh, how it all starts. And uh, just kind of jumping in through it, first of all, we see the lust of the flesh, the lust of the flesh. I like what Warren Wearsby states. He says, The lust of the flesh includes anything that appeals to man's fallen nature. The flesh does not mean the body, like our skin and bones, but rather it refers to the basic nature of the unregenerate man that makes him blind to spiritual truth. This is why Paul says, In me dwelleth no good thing. Naturally, I have this being in me. I can't explain it other than just my sinful nature. I have this this rebellious, this spirit that wants to do wrong. It's just in me. That's why Paul said it. And I love even too in 1 Corinthians, when he talked to the Corinthian church, uh, he spoke about, he says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Why? Because naturally, apart from God's spirit, man longs to do wrong. You know, it's a a simple illustration we use when I've witnessed to people and stuff, when they want to talk about sin nature and, well, I don't have that. I said, okay, well, you know, my daughter, she's lied to me before, my four-year-old. She's lied to me before. And I have never one time sat her down and taught her, where did that come from? Where is it? I didn't teach her any of that. It's our sinful nature. And, And sometimes you ever catch yourself saying, why did I do that? Like, why was there this adrenaline mode where I had to protect myself and my pride? And ultimately, I won't get ahead of it, but pride's the root of it. But understand, it's the natural thing in man, the ungenerate, depraved man that understands inside him he longs to fulfill the lust of his flesh. Those without Christ in the world seek to please themselves while those who are in Christ seek to please him. Then you see this, the lust of the flesh. Now here's the progression. Think of it in order progression. God's a God of order, so let's look at this. The lust of the flesh then leads to the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes represents everything man, uh, everything man by his natural and sinful nature that wants to indulge into things in a sinful way. The The lust of the eyes represents the devil's ways to entice the mind through the gateway of our eyes. It's almost like this. So we have this natural and tendency in our heart to do wrong. It doesn't come out yet, but the devil knows that it's in there. And so what he does is through our eyes, through our gateways, what does he do? He brings the poisonous apple, right? The one that looks shiny and wonderful, but inside it's dead and it's rotten. It's the sin. It's the enticing but not showing the price tag. Uh, it's almost kind of like if you really didn't like somebody, you knew that <laughs> it's kind of a silly illustration, but you knew that they were lactose intolerant. And so what did you do? You entice them with some wonderful ice cream and say, oh, this is this, is this, this is that. It's not going to hurt you. And then what? It's kind of a silly way to put it, but understand the devil knows what your weaknesses are and he knows that inside we have this natural, especially apart from God's spirit tonight, uh, that he wants to entice us with the lust of our eyes. This is why the Psalmist said in 101.3, this is, uh, uh, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave unto me. Matthew 5.28, Jesus said, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman and lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Christians, maybe be very careful, and you may have sung the song, song before, but careful little eyes what you see. We see the progression, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. I have it in my heart, I see what I want, and then lastly, in this section, the pride of life. Warren Wearsby, I like what he says also on this matter that God's glory is rich and full, man's glory is vain. And empty. The final stage of the progression of sin is ultimately how all sins are carried out. From its conception till its, final com- uh, committed, uh, till it's finally committed, pride is the root of all sin. We find this in the very beginning in Genesis. Turn with me really quick, and I want to show you Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. God created the world, and in six days he rested on the seventh, Uh, There's Adam comes on the scene, Eve comes on the scene. He tells them, do not touch uh, the tree. And in verse number six of Genesis chapter three, you're gonna find this (laughs) all the way in the New Testament, 1 John three, or 1 John two, you're gonna find it at the very beginning. And when the woman saw, this is verse number six of chapter three, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the what? Eyes. That's the lust of the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make who wise? One wise. You know what? The pride of life. You see how the sin progresses? Starts here. I see it. Pride says, I can have it. And it's always silly when I think about that because she was perfect as Jesus, as God was. And yet God, it was almost like Satan sold sand to a beach. He says, you can be like the most high God. They They were perfect without sin. But yet you see what happens when we allow pride in our lives. She took of the fruit thereof, finishing the verse, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat also, the actual committing of sin. Pride is the ultimate root of all sin. It is the very sin that casts Satan out of heaven. It is the same sin that Satan used to deceive and condemn man. This is why Proverbs 6 says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination to him. What's number one on the countdown? A proud look. A proud look. A world that God created and love was ultimately deceived and destroyed by sin. This is why God hates sin, because he loves us so much. That is why John simply states that to love the world is to not love God, because if we truly love God and his love is in us, we can only genuinely hate sin. This doesn't mean that we are not allured or even slightly attracted to the things of this world if we're in Christ, but what it does mean is that we do not allow it to rule and reign in our lives because God's love, his agape love, endureth forever. We understand that the world, by its definition, what it is, and we understand what it does by its deeds. But let's look lastly tonight, its destination, where it's going. Why do we not love the world? Well, we know what it is, we know what it does, and we know its ultimate, final destination, where it's going. Look what it says in verse 17. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We understand that the world, everything about it, is just temporal. It's temporal. John gives us a real reason why not to love the world and its system is because ultimately it's not going to last anyway. Uh, that's why Jesus said to uh, not lay, up your, lay up not for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and dust, uh, rust uh, doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor dust corrupt, and where thieves do not break in through and steal. You see, we can't lay up for things that are temporal, but we have to lay up for things that are eternal. Uh, it's interesting is that how simple and logical that sounds, uh, but I find challenging sometimes in my life uh, of how, how often I don't do those things. Uh, it's sad to say that even though as Christians we say, okay, we understand we're not supposed to love the world, but we understand that many people kind of fall into that path. And one example in Scripture of somebody who was with Paul, uh, was with him in all, most of his ministry and helped him, uh, was Demas. Uh, you don't have to turn there, uh, but in Colossians and in Philemon, Colossians 4, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas... Greet you. He was with pretty good company, especially in Philemon, uh, Marcus, and uh, Aristarchus, and Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. You see, Demas was somebody that was with Paul and helped Paul, and he was his fellow laborer in the Lord. He was with a really good company, so to speak. Heard the same preaching, went and did the same actions and same uh, ministry deeds as, as Paul did. But as the story goes in Demas' life, we find the sad reality. In 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul says this to his his son in the faith, Timothy, For Demas Demas hath forsaken me, having loved what? This present world. Although the world will pass away, John gives us the strong truth of encouragement that those who will do the will of God abideth forever. The world is not permanent, but the things done for God are. They're forever. But I want to note something here, too. As simple as probably maybe this message is, is that to not love the world because we know what it is, where, what it does, and where it's going. There's a simple challenge here that I, I noticed uh, in verse number 17, uh, where he says in verse number 17, that the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God. In other words, this, if you take from this message that we need to be sober and be vigilant, I would agree with you. We have to watch. We have to make sure that we're uh, not indulging and being a part of things. But I feel like sometimes there's this crazy pendulum swing and it's where we bunker down so hard and so fast. And I'm, by the way, as a disclaimer, I'm all for barriers and borders and, and the Bible teaches that. But when we come to a point where we put so much barriers on and, put, and we kind of live in our own bubble uh, that we, we, instead of, it's, it's almost impossible. Again, we make it so impossible that the world can't touch or taint us, but we equally make it impossible for us to influence the world. And we get down to this place where, we, where God says that you're the light of the world. We're the light of the world. And if we bunker down so hard and we get down to this thing where it's just me, us three, and no one else, you know, it's, if you're not a part and, and unless you're a part of this fold, understand that the will of the Father, he says, the, them that doeth the will of the Father. The only way you do it is if you let your light shine, if you love others as Christ has loved. I believe, again, that the Bible teaches all believers to have boundaries and to keep guard their hearts with the utmost diligence. But at the same time, if we are not careful, We will bunker down so hard and hide ourselves so much that we will hide the light of Christ and therefore not do the will of the Father. Although we are not of this world, we are in this world, Jesus said. Ye are the light of the world. John specifically says, he that doeth the will of the Father, will of God abideth forever. What is the will of God? That we love one another with love of Christ. That we invest in things that are eternal and not temporal. That we would go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, we can be so good at abstaining that it is almost impossible for the world to influence us, but also equally impossible for us to influence the world for Christ. In kind of closing tonight, and I promise I wanted to get right us out at six o'clock, but we learned another indicator really tonight of a real, authentic faith in Jesus Christ. Those that are that truly love the Lord equally despise and hate the things that are in this world. Again, we hate, like God, we hate the sin and not the sinner. If you find yourself tonight having a hard time, fo- a hard time uh, following the world and allowing it to constantly and consistently influence you for most of your life, I would challenge you to deeply examine yourself. But if you are in Christ, may I challenge you to guard your heart and your family from allowing the systems or the way of living of this world to influence you. To not love the world, but to love sinners to not bunker down so much that the light becomes hidden and you cannot even do the will of the Father. Remember that we are of this world, but we are placed in this world by God's ultimate purpose and will. Let us use this life for him and invest in eternity. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.